Why do you use social media? And if you do, do you ever wish you could quit it, but find you can't? That's the social media trap. When we asked them, you said you would prefer to live in a world where TikTok doesn't exist or Instagram doesn't exist yet. You're still a user. Why? We asked them. And then we called their answers. And the most common answer category has to do with FOMO is compelling people to join a platform that they would prefer not to exist. Welcome to The Pie. I'm your host, Tess Vigland. Economists are always talking about the pie, how it grows and shrinks, how it's sliced, who gets the biggest share. In this show, we're talking about the most pressing matters of the day seen through the lens of economics. The Pie is a production of the University of Chicago's Becker Friedman Institute. And in this episode, we're examining why we sometimes pursue the things we don't really want, whether it's a social media following or a new pair of designer shoes. Sometimes we participate in or buy things that we frankly wish didn't exist, but we fear missing out if we don't play along. As our guest today found, it's a trap for both our attention and money. Hi, I'm Leonardo Burstein, the Saya Family Professor of Economics at the University of Chicago. And my favorite pie is strawberry pie. So, Leo, we're going to be talking today about consumer behavior and at its most basic, kind of the effects of FOMO, fear of missing out on our behaviors, especially when it comes to social media. And I don't always ask this of the economists we talk to on the pie, but I'm definitely going to with you. What prompted this research? I'm wondering if you found yourself having FOMO because, I don't know, maybe you weren't on TikTok or something and you said, hey, why do I feel this way? Yeah, I think it's just a general, just general intuition that there are markets, there are cases where we buy things, perhaps even if we didn't want them, because it's less costly to buy them and be part of the market than thing out out of it, right? For example, the case of like status products, where if you don't own something that gives you status, people are going to think that you are like lower income, that you don't have a lot of status, so you might feel compelled to buy it, even though you don't really like it, right? Just because you want to avoid the cost of not having it. And we had this idea out there, but it was searching for the right setting to study. And upon introspection, we thought that, well, social media seems to be a really good example of of that because there is one puzzle, which is a lot of people use social media. And yet there's a lot of evidence now that it's not good for people. Like at least there are a lot of people who suffer. They feel depressed. Their welfare actually seems to go down. But they keep using they it. They keep using because it. Because they feel like they, if they don't, then, then they're just out of it. Exactly. So we start thinking, well, it is possible. And there's evidence that there are things like self-control issues. People would like to stop, but they can't. Or they're, there's addiction. Yeah. There's a big lawsuit against Meta now, arguing that they actively created tools that cause addiction. So you could have these mechanisms, but we thought that maybe there's something else also going on, which is when these products become so widespread, it becomes very difficult to be one of the few ones who are not using it. It becomes very costly. And the question is, could we be in a situation where it got so costly to be the only one out that you feel like you have to join it, even though you don't like it? I can't relate to that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so what you really wanted to measure here is basically what it does to our individual welfare 
when we feel this pressure to join in on something out of this, you know, this fear of missing out, this FOMO, uh, and then more broadly, what that means to society, right? Absolutely. Because let's walk, uh, let's do like discuss how people usually go about measuring welfare, right? Associated with a product. So typically, how much you're willing to pay for a product gives you how much you value this product, right? Or if the product is available for free, like social media, how much do I need to pay you to stop using it? Right? If I have to pay you a lot of money, the natural conclusion is that you value it a lot. Now, this is interesting because it doesn't necessarily give the full picture, right? It could be that I have to pay someone a lot of money to quit social media alone, not because they like social media per se, but they, they dislike it less than being the only person not using social media. So the fact that you have to pay someone to quit social media doesn't necessarily mean that they value it. It's very difficult for someone to quit with a bunch of other people. The decision is usually I quit and the market still exists or I stay on the market. So I prefer to stay on the market given that it exists. So we realized that perhaps a better way to think about it is like you shouldn't compare your quitting social media against you being out of social media and social media still being there, but rather you should compare you quitting social media against social media not existing. So let's get to the experiment uh, that you did for this research. And for this, you tapped college students. So let me ask, first of all, why that cohort? College students are amongst the heaviest users of social media, right? Young adults use social media a lot. And there's also growing body of evidence that young people are some of the ones who suffer the most from social media. There's evidence of mental health impact from Instagram, especially with uh, young girls. But generally, there's a growing body of evidence uh, indicating that these are the heaviest users and also some of the groups that should seem to be affected the most, which makes that kind of puzzling observation of why do people use so much if that's not good for them? Right. Even more stark, right? Right. So, and and the pressure is probably even greater at that age, I would Exactly, imagine. exactly. Yeah. Okay, so describe the experiment for us. You have a thousand or so students, and you started by asking, as you kind of talked about earlier, how much money it would take for them to get off TikTok and Instagram, to deactivate them for four weeks. Correct. First of all, assuming that everybody around them got to keep using them. So let's start with that first. What did you find? Yes. So if you approach college students from, we use this online uh, experiment in many college campuses. If you ask them, how much do I need to pay you to deactivate either TikTok or Instagram? We, we study both separately. And if the person thinks that they're the only one doing it, you have to pay that person around $50 to, to just stop using for a month. 50 bucks for a month. Okay. That's roughly what, what we find. That would indicate, if you stop there, it's like, seems like they value it, right? That you have to pay them to stop using. But that's not the full story. So then you said, well, hey, what if we took these away, not just from you, but from everybody else on campus too, right? So then what happened? What, what happened there? Exactly. So if instead of the person thinking that they will be the only one who would stop using, they are under the impression that a large share of their college mates would also be deactivating, we see that the amount of money you have to pay them drops about between one fourth and one third, depending on the platform. Now, 
the college mates do not represent the whole network for these people like of, of friends on social media. It is a relevant network, like your college mates. But what we show is that if other people are being removed as well, now you have to pay me less. How much less? About one third for TikTok and one fourth for Instagram, the drop. Did those numbers surprise you at all? Because when I looked at them, I suppose these are college students. So $50, $60 might seem like a lot for a four-week experiment. It doesn't sound like much in the aggregate. The numbers we found around $50 are not too far away from what other studies have uh, measured for things like deactivated Facebook for four weeks. I think it was in the order of $100. So I think it's sort of on the ballpark of what other studies have found. And, and the fact that it drops indicates that there is something that economists call network externalities. The idea that these types of products are such that when more people use it, the product changes, right? It becomes more useful, right? If no one else is using uh, if no one is using Facebook, then, you know, then it's useless. Yes. But if everybody's using it, it almost becomes a necessity. Exactly. Which brings us to our third treatment. Which is that you looked at the effect of all of this on people who already did not have accounts, right? So they were not on TikTok. They were not on Instagram. Exactly. So how did you measure that? And what was the result? We are interested now in the the question that is usually not something that we can measure, which is, do you prefer to be in a world where TikTok exists or in a world where TikTok doesn't exist, right? Or Instagram exists or Instagram doesn't exist. We would like to ask this to users and those who are not known users, right? And of course, we can directly ask this question. And actually, we find that there's like large shares of users and non-users that would prefer to live in a world where TikTok doesn't exist or Instagram doesn't exist, which is itself surprising. For example, if you ask uh, non-users, the vast majority of them would prefer to ban TikTok and Instagram. But you ask users themselves, and I think that's more surprising, uh, one third of users in our sample would prefer to live in a world where TikTok doesn't exist. And close to 60% of users, users of Instagram would prefer that Instagram didn't exist. That is the definition almost of junkies. Yeah, you think about it. It's, it it sounds a bit crazy. Like, think about another product. 60% of people who buy refrigerators would prefer the refrigerators didn't exist. That sounds a bit crazy, right? But that seems to be what's <laughs> happening here. Now, we can do more. We asked the question, but we wanted to do something with incentives and kind of price this. So what we did is that going back to our sample, we tell them, hey, now we asked a large share, a lot of people in your college uh, how much you have to pay them to deactivate if others are also going to be paid to deactivate. Now, we're going to randomly choose one person in your college to decide whether we keep things as they are, people using social media, or whether we pay everyone like just enough to get them to deactivate for four weeks. And then if you're that person who's chosen to decide, what would you prefer? And how much are we need to pay to be in one state of the world versus the other? Are you willing to pay to keep... Instagram going, or you need to pay to ban it for four weeks, right? Same with TikTok. Yeah. And what we find is that the users that we just showed that ha they have to be paid to quit alone, they're willing to pay to ban it. The same people, they're willing to pay about $28 for TikTok, to ban TikTok for four weeks, like for the majority of their campus. And they're willing to pay about on average $10 to get rid of Instagram. 
So it's just like how it flips, right? So you would think that the welfare that, it, that these platforms is creating is positive when you just look at how much you have to pay one person. But when you think more broadly, do they actually value the existence of the platform, which I think is a better way to capture the actual value or actual welfare associated with it, they're actually willing to pay to ban it. That changes a little bit the conclusion, right? Yeah. So so you call this a collective trap, a social media trap, where people don't really want to be on the platforms. They're a net negative, but they feel like they have to, or as we've been talking about, they'll miss out, which then compounds the negative, right? Yeah, we think about it as a, as a trap because each person would prefer that the platform didn't exist. Not everyone, but there's enough people large share of people that would prefer that the platform didn't exist. Now, that's not a choice they can make. They can't press a button and ban it, right? So what they can decide is as an individual alone, do I join or do I not join? And it's, it's clear that for a lot of these people, even though they prefer the platform not to exist, they have to join because it feels like even though they don't like it, they dislike this less than being the only one left out. That's where the FOMO story kicks in, which is when we ask them, you said you would prefer to live in a world where TikTok doesn't exist or Instagram doesn't exist yet. You're still a user. Why? We ask them, open-ended. And then we code their their answers. And the most common answer category has to do with FOMO considerations. It's compelling people to join a platform that they would prefer not to exist. That's why it's a trap. You're trapped. You have to use it because... Everyone else is on it, but a person alone cannot stop it from happening, right? You're right. too small relative to the whole market. So then interestingly, you expand this research into consumers' opinions on luxury goods and technology, like the iPhone. And you find similar results here where people who bought luxury brands say they'd actually rather live in a world without luxury brands, so it seems to me that all this FOMO says a lot about our willpower, right? Or maybe the absence of it. In this case, the FOMO is, I mean, that's the definition of keeping up with the Joneses. Yes. The motivation started from something broader. And the example of luxury brands was always the back of our minds. So we figured, well, why not ask people, right? With the social media experiment, we saw that the prices that we got from these elicitations really lined up pretty well with the answers to the question whether they would prefer to live in a world with or without these platforms. So we decided to revisit these luxury goods. The the idea there is that if these luxury brands exist and I don't own a luxury brand or a fancy item, people would assume that I'm not doing really well, right? Because those who are doing well are buying these products. So um, in the eyes of other people, I'm failing in society, right? I'm not don't make enough money to buy luxury brands, right? So I feel like, well, maybe I don't like luxury brands, but if I don't buy, people are going to think less of me, so I'm just going to buy them. So the question is, how often do we get situations in which people who are consumers of luxury brands actually would prefer to ban the whole category? And so we ask this question, and we do find that about among brand owners, those who own, about 44% of them would prefer to live in a world where they didn't exist. And then if you look at those who don't own luxury brands, it's even higher. It's about 70%. So a large share of society would prefer that luxury brands didn't exist. And yet 
they exist and people buy them. But then you ask about technology, right? We thought about the iPhone. Of course, it's a great product and has a lot of features, uh, but it's also a symbol of status. You buy an iPhone, especially a newer iPhone that says something about your income, you're keeping up with things and so on. And there's a new iPhone every year, right? So we decided to check, do people really like the idea that there's an iPhone being released, a new model every year, or they prefer Apple to release every other year? And what we find, about 91% of iPhone owners would prefer to live in a world where Apple was releasing iPhones every other year, not every year. Because of the pressure to get the newest thing. Yes. Once it's created, you kind of feel like you have to, but you wish it wasn't there. Uh, So again, it's another example of these products, these markets that exist and people buy, and you would assume that they're deriving benefits from it, that it's creating value, that they really want them. But in fact, in many cases, it could be that it's it's not great, but it's less bad than not having it. Well, and one thing that you will sometimes hear is that the mere existence of a product, whether it's TikTok or Rolex, means it has value, right? If it didn't have positive welfare for users, it wouldn't exist. What does this research tell us about that assumption? It does challenge that assumption that just because, an example, just because people buy Rolex, that means that it creates value. You know, a lot of people don't like it, but uh, they don't really have a choice, right? Well, they have a choice, but it's, 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 it's better to consume something you don't like than not consuming it and feeling even worse off. And maybe this also says something about why we all keep buying into this stuff despite report after report about how it is not good for us. Exactly. So it adds to the to the list of explanations, right? Potential explanations for why social media, going back to social media, is harmful to a lot of people and yet they can continue to use it. So when you look at this collective trap and the fact that so many people in your research say, look, I, I actually kind of really don't want to be dealing with this with Instagram and TikTok, but I kind of feel like I have to. What does this tell you about the value of these platforms and even what they do to us as individuals and as a society? That's a very good question. When we start thinking more broadly about the value of these platforms, we realize that even though you have to pay a lot of people to quit, uh, people a lot of money to quit them, they're willing to pay a lot of money to ban them, which indicates that for a large share of users, the existence of this platform creates negative value for them. Well, the interesting thing though, is that there's also another side where there are some people who legitimately like these platforms. We're not saying that everyone is in the trapped in that sense, but if there's enough people who like the platforms, think about this in a dynamic way. Like there are some people who join the platform, maybe early adopters that really like it. Those are your influencers or so on, right? They really like it. And then at some point, more people start joining it because, well, a lot of people are using and that keeps growing, growing, growing to a point where the network is so big that it becomes very hard not to join it. And then that's where those are the ones who get trapped. That like if it was smaller, if there weren't that many people, they wouldn't feel so disconnected, so lost from the rest if they decided to stay away. So the value is becomes something 
kind of really tricky, right? It, it seems like in our setting, at the end, when you take the average, the value becomes negative. But there seems to be two types of people. Those who really enjoy these platforms and they choose and they want to be there. And those who really don't like these platforms, but they feel like they don't have a choice. They have to join. Yeah. What are some of the policy implications here, Leo? You know, the heads of social media companies have been hauled multiple times before congressional hearings for for many reasons. But I'm curious if you could be up there asking them questions, what would you ask? And what kinds of solutions might there be to this? Well, I, I guess it's not really really a problem, but solutions to this debate? It's a very tricky question and a tri- tricky problem because I think there is a discussion right now on imposing limits or banning. That gives another rationale for these types of policies that people are already discussing. But the problem, as we discuss, I think it's a little more subtle, this situation, because there are some people who are actually enjoying and benefiting from it. So I think policymakers will have to figure out how to square these things up like, okay, there are some people who really enjoy them, but there's like a lot of people who are actually not benefiting from, from these platforms. So how can we take that into account? There's definitely a need for further discussion things. For example, potentially, right? If the networks were smaller, perhaps it would be easier for someone to just choose not to join, right? Because I mean, not everyone would be using the same network. So is that potentially rationale for like break into smaller networks, potentially. So I think there's definitely need for broader discussion on the right policy. Well, Leo, this has been absolutely fascinating. Um, are, are you on TikTok? Should I follow you there? No, you're not going <laughs> to find uh, me on any of these platforms. All I right, really fair. mean it. Yeah. Fair enough. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. The Pie is a production of the Becker Freeman Institute for Economics and part of the University of Chicago Podcast Network. If you'd like to keep in touch with the latest economic research from the University of Chicago, you can visit bfi.uchicago.edu slash subscribe. Have you ever wondered who you are but didn't know who to ask? Well, then join Professor Eric Oliver as he poses the nine most essential questions for knowing yourself to some of humanity's wisest and most interesting people. Nine Questions with Eric Oliver, part of the University of Chicago Podcast Network. Our theme music was composed by Story Mechanics, production assistance from the BFI communications team. I'm Tess Vigland, your host and executive producer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.